You're listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast, hosted by Alan Draper and Eric Bassett. Each week, they'll discuss ways to scale and grow your pest control company with a goal of helping you become a bug money millionaire. What are the things that you're going to say? Like if I said, hey, Chase, I've this actually happened like within the last week, right? Where I'm like, hey, I'm aware of this company that's for sale in one of your markets. What are your first few questions? Yeah. So I like to know how long they've been in the market, what their organic online visibility looks like, assuming you know, you're going to take over that GMB listing, that you're going to be porting in that phone number that's been floating around Yelp and Google and Facebook for X amount of years, you're going to start taking those calls. So that's one of the things that I like to look for. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Bug Bucks podcast. I'm Alan Draper. As always, I've got my main man, Eric Bassett with me. What's up, Eric? What's up, Alan? Everything is going well. Just Halloween came and went. Yeah. So now we have to take down all of the uh, free Halloween decorations, sweep all those down for our customers now. So Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We always make that joke, which is a total lame joke to make. People talk about like sweeping down cobwebs and I'm like, so do you want me to leave those up for you for the next month? (laughs) Just yes, no, no. Okay, fine. Borderline dad joke. (laughs) Exactly. I'm a sucker for dad jokes. Same. Let's get into it. Before we do that, make sure to join our Facebook group, Bug Bucks, B-U-G, B-U-X. It's just a great atmosphere. Lots of networking going on in there. Great place to be. Make sure to join that. Today, I'm excited to welcome back Chase Goodall. He's the president of Goodall Holdings, and he's the owner of Pest Control Consultants. His company owns, manages, and purchases pest control companies in Illinois, Iowa, and Wisconsin. Chase started in the pest control industry when he was 16 years old with his dad. We actually had him on about a year ago. It dropped on November 11th, 2021. Make sure to check out that episode. It's titled, Focusing on a Specific Niche Can Help You Expand into the Commercial Pest Control Industry. So if you're looking for information about getting into the commercial side, check that episode out, November 11th, 2021. Welcome to the show, Chase. Glad to have you, my man. Thank you guys for having me. It was awesome running into you, Alan, again at Pest World and meeting some of your guys' staff and hanging out. And the Bug Bucks group did not disappoint in Boston. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was awesome. We snapped that pic of me, you, and Preston Peterson. And I posted it in the Bug Bucks group. And within minutes, somebody made a comment about how two of the three of us had skinny jeans on. And <laughs> you didn't really have skinny jeans on. They just weren't like MC Hammer baggy pants. Right. <laughs> I kind of did in full disclosure. But anyway, it was good to catch up, man. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely good to connect with Preston as well. Yeah. We got to get Eric to Honolulu next year, man. That would be great. There's a chance that I can convince my business partners to do it. We were talking about having like a business partner getaway the other day. Oh, perfect. And I'm like, hey, you know, Pest World, Honolulu, Hawaii, let's let's do this thing. So there's a chance. I think it'll be hard. So it's right by Waikiki. It's in Honolulu. It's going to be hard to be there for work. <laughs> I mean, Pest World's fun because you're meeting people like I'm going to dinners and lunches like all week just booked. But man, that beach is going to be calling me. So I think I'm going to take my family and do, I think we're going to do like a week before or something. So oh, just, yeah, but it's a great write off. We want to do the same thing. T- take the family, write the whole thing off. Yep. 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 For sure. 
Well, Chase, let's crack into it a little bit today. You and I at Pest World, we were talking about some of the acquisitions that you've done. And people have a lot of questions about those. And I feel like there's this large spectrum of acquisitions. We were just talking about one right before we hit the record button that I'm not necessarily going to mention the name just yet, but it's a larger acquisition. And there's everything from from that to you know guys with a couple of routes. I think the mentality is different depending on the size of the company. Would you agree with that? 100%. What are we looking for? And I feel like there's this sliding scale like, okay, the larger companies, more density and other factors, obviously also going to naturally go for a higher valuation. When you're looking at a company that's in the couple hundred grand a year in annual revenue or less, kind of in that ballpark, give or take a little bit, what are your first questions? What are the things that you're going to say? Like if I said, hey, Chase, I've this actually happened like within the last week, right? Where I'm like, hey, I'm aware of this company that's for sale in one of your markets. What are your first few questions? Yeah. So I like to know how long they've been in the market, what their organic online visibility looks like, assuming you know, you're going to take over that GMB listing that you're going to be porting in that phone number that's been floating around Yelp and Google and Facebook for X amount of years, you're going to start taking those calls. So that's one of the things that I like to look for. People have asked me all the time, like, you know, we've done six acquisitions since 2019. You know, where do you find these deals? Do they fall into your lap? And, you know, what I what I did is when I spoke a year ago on the podcast about commercial sales and writing a list down of of accounts you want, we found out the ones we didn't have, we knew why we didn't have them. There's a lot of loyalty to local competitors. So when we know our competitors have some larger accounts, we're interested in maybe acquiring that company to take over those larger accounts that generate you know, a good amount of revenue. So I like the idea of, of cold calling and, and, and looking for people that might be interested in buying or selling their pest control company. Huh. They don't call you. You know, you call them, get their attention, sit down with them and, and, and see what these owners are wanting to do with it. But there's a lot on the table. I think there's going to be a lot more on the table over the next, you know, three yes. to five years, eight years as these older owners are going to be looking for, you know, an exit strategy. When it comes to you cold calling these other PCOs and asking about whether or not they want to be bought out, do you see any commonalities when it comes to their concerns? Yeah, some of them want you know to sail off into the sunset immediately. Some of them want to come to work for a little bit to make a little bit more money before they completely retire. You know that kind of thing. I do see that a lot of guys know exactly what they think they want for it, which is interesting. You know, I've all the deals I've done, all of them were like, here's what we are thinking. Here's what we would like. And for me, the multiplier for a business doing a quarter million to a half a million, I've seen business owners ask for 1.35, the gross revenue. And that typically will include the trucks. You know, so you're getting that in those deals as well. I've done two deals with the same owner that owned five different companies. He was firm on 1.3. So the first one we did, it was 1.35. And then we did another one two years after that, and I got him down to 1.25x. And so he was pretty firm. He knew what he wanted. You know, like I said, they had some nice accounts, commercial accounts, you know, mainly that I knew we wanted to have. And so that was what intrigued us about, you know, taking over that. But those, both of those business owners, you know, that those companies have been in the the market for 
you know, 80 years. I mean, they've been around since the 60s, both of those deals I did. So when you talk about organic visibility, we don't spend any money on digital marketing outside of our brand pest control consultants. But when we do acquisitions, we get all of those organic leads that come into us. And people really, they don't care if it's Crown Exterminators, Kendrick General Pest Control, Rise Pest Control. They just want somebody on the phone that knows what they're doing that can get a tech out immediately. And so it's unbelievable on the amount of new customer calls you're going to bring in when you get a company that has a good organically does well. And so that's what I look for is companies that do extremely well organically because we're just going to sell a ton of new customers on our subscriptions just by taking over their listing at, at no ad spend costs. So you mentioned that a lot of guys that are selling their companies have a number in mind. Yep. Do you feel like on average, they're getting pretty close to that number? They're getting less than that number or they're getting more than that number? The deals I do, they're getting less. You know, I, I don't look to purchase right now anyways, you know, million, multi-million dollar deals. But the ones that are smaller, these guys know not a lot of guys can write a check for 250 grand or 300 grand, right? And so you're able to say, hey, you know, I'll write you a check. We'll close in 30 days. Here's what I'm looking for. You know, you have you have some wiggle room. You have you can negotiate that. Like I said, the one guy came off of 1.35, went down to 1.25 for me. So I saved a little bit there. But there's a lot of guys that would never pay 1.25x. Jared Borg and I've been talking a little bit lately, and someone asked him what he would pay for a company. And if you can find somebody willing to give you X amount, that's kind of you know you got to find a buyer and whatever you can get, you're going to try to get. But it's not a black and white thing. But the multipliers, I, you know, I'm learning, you know, the cleaner the customer list, they're up to date on their service, they're auto pay, do they have a good CRM? Or is the owner engaged or not engaged? Are the techs all certified? You know, those kind of things add value to those multipliers for sure. But you're kind of touching on some of the stuff that I wanted to dive into this next kind of two-part question for you. When you first find that company you're talking about doing an acquisition, you feel like it could be a good fit. What are like the immediate green flags that you look for where you're like, yes, like this looks exactly like the guy, you know, deal that I want. And what are the red flags that you look out for right off the bat? Yeah. So obviously what I'm looking for immediately is recurring revenue. I'm looking for those subscriptions to be there. What percentage of the annual revenue is recurring? You know, we want that to be extremely high, if not all of it. When you got a lot of one-time services that are in there, those are red flags. You know, if a book of business is doing 250 grand a year and only 120,000 is recurring revenue, the other, you know, 120, 130 one-time services. You know, I don't like those deals as much because I, you know, can't predict that. I can't staff that necessarily by looking at what's due for service. I do think there's value to that, but not as much as you would think of in terms of, well, I'll just convert those to quarterly. That was what I used to think after I did the first deal, the second deal. Those customers have been calling in once a year for 20 years, and they're used to paying the 150 or the 175. No matter how bad you try to talk them into a quarterly subscription, it's not easy to do. So that part of it is a lesson I've learned in regards to you know trying to look for companies in the market that that might be interested in, you know, in selling them. And we did one in Wisconsin just recently in, in Wisconsin Dells, where we picked it up for 60 cents on the dollar. And it was a book of business that was right around a quarter million in recurring revenue. The guy was extremely old. Never He was one that had no idea what he wanted. He had no idea what it was even worth. It was just, hey, here's what I'll offer you. Let's quickly get this deal done. And he was he was in his 90s. So he was he, he was looking to kind of get out of that business. How did you find him? 
So what happened was I have a lake home in Wisconsin. I started a pest control branch out there last fall, just started selling around the lake and it's a huge lake community. Somebody had gotten wind that I was a young, you know, pest control business owner out there. I was doing most of the sales and the service myself when I would, when I was up there hanging out on the lake and someone reached out to me and just said, Hey, you know, there's, we use this company in Wisconsin. They're great. They've been doing it forever. I'm not saying that this is a for sure deal, but you need to call him and talk to him. And so I did. And next, you know, we're having coffee next, you know, we're looking at tax returns and I'm calling my bank and, and saying, Hey, here's what I want to do. Wow. So you have other people that made that connection for you. Yeah. Actually one of his customers reached out to me on Facebook and that's how that connection was made, believe it or not. <laughs> wow. So what split of these acquisitions that you either have made or have discussed with are people that you reach out to versus people that reach out to you? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, the first one we did, we did it, it was a half, there was another, it was a competitive company, a competitor, a half hour outside of the town next door that had some larger commercial accounts we wanted. So we were kind of, I cold calls and I knew that he was older. We sat down and went back and forth, finally got a deal done. The other couple I've reached out to as well. I would make a list every winter, every off season of who I thought might sell their company based on, you know, just their visibility online. What, you know, I don't know a lot of information about the accounts they have. I just see them out and about. I see how old they are driving their vehicles, that kind of thing. Tell us specifically like what you're looking for. Like, are you talking about the age of the owner? Are you talking about like, you see them out and about in their vehicles? Are they driving older trucks? Like, what are these things that you're looking for when you're going to be approaching them? What are some tips or some hints so that you're just not, you know, Googling pest control company near me and just going down the list? I'm looking for older owners, you know, specifically in the neighboring markets that I'm already in. How are you finding that information? You like stalking these people, Chase? No. (laughs) Where I'm at in rural, you know, we're out way out west of Chicago. I'm a town I grew up in has 16,000 people. Neighboring town is 18,000. You know, we competed in the same space for a lot of years. So you just so know people. We know people. Yep. And that's how it kind of started. And then we did the deal out in Chicago with Rise Pest Control. And I'm mm-hmm. not entirely sure how that, I can't remember how that in 19, I think I, Shane, Nicole, I think you had. I remember had, that deal. Yeah. Remember that deal. And that was a good deal. Do you find that when you're reaching out to these people, do they ever get offended? They do. They absolutely do. And and again, in the off season, you know, now that I've done six of them since 19, I'm looking to take a break and kind of grow organically and not, you know, spend money to get customers. But typically, yeah, I mean, I make that list, I call them and I just say, love to talk to you about, you know, selling your pest control business. If it's something you're looking at doing, we've done a couple of them, we know how they go, we have capital to do it. And we're you know, that's it. And some people, you know, you can tell they don't like it at all. And they're like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Goodbye kind of thing. Other people say, you know what, I'm not there yet. In a couple of years, I might be interested, you know, and then I got them on a list and I kind of follow up with them. But see, for me, it's pretty simple. And I think, Alan, you helped me with this a couple of years ago. It's like, what are my goals? My goal is to to do 12 million a year, million a month recurring revenue. And we're right around, we're just under 5 million now, right? So me taking $200,000 of, of profit over the years that I have sitting in a savings account or whatever, I'd rather take that money, get it working for me in another pest control business because I know pest control. I've been doing it since I was 15 with my dad, right? And so it's easy for me to make decisions like that, spending money. I think most people don't want to spend the money to do that because they're scared and they don't want to do, they would rather just, you know, 
grow on their own, which is great, you know, doing that, but you're either going to grow rapidly doing acquisitions or doing door-to-door sales. And, you know, we do a little bit of both, you know, we don't have a big sales team by any means, but acquisitions are money, man, especially if the company you're buying has a really good organic presence online, you're taking that listing over that listing is going to just, people are going to be calling that listing forever. Long after that company is now part of pest control consultants, right. Or whatever company picks it up. So, you know, I think from a growth method standpoint, you know, we think about customer acquisition cost, right? And, you know, you got on the very low end of things, you've got organic referrals, which have almost little to no customer's acquisition costs on that end. But and then you have like the high stuff, like door to door, right? Really high costs. And maybe sometimes if you're not paying attention to your marketing, you've got some digital high customer acquisition costs. But I think, and especially this time, now that the multiples have kind of gone all over the place, we consider a high customer acquisition cost with acquisitions. What's the best customer acquisition cost you've been able to get from an acquisition that you've bought? Definitely the one in Wisconsin, 60 cents on the dollar. So that that one was right around 225,000 in revenue. And we picked it up for 127.5 with a truck. The truck had 30,000 miles on it, fully rigged for pest control. We relocated our employee in Illinois out to Wisconsin, and so he's out there now. And he's he, we you know got a house for him and his wife are, are, are there. And and for the most part, he can do that entire book of business, that entire quarter million dollars with you know using route optimization and things like that to keep everything extremely tight. Uh, but we suspect we're going to need help out there extremely soon. But the other, I think we did, I did one for seventy nine cents on the dollar, and that was over. That was a quarter million dollar deal as well. Alan helped me with that one. The 1.35, 1.25 did two of those deals. The mistake that I've made that I'll share, like one of the deals, the one out in Chicago, we're an hour west of Chicago. We, we bought a business in the north suburbs of Chicago. So now I, ha- I have nothing out in the north suburbs, though I have vision to grow out there because there's endless opportunity, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's the suburbs of Chicago. That's a great area. So we did that deal. The problem with that deal was I wasn't able to take over that particular business listing on Google because it was, you know, it was one branch that they sold at the time. So they didn't want me to take that over because that wasn't my brand. And so I didn't get that visibility like I do with the other ones when I buy their company. And so if I didn't, I didn't have a marketing plan to continue to grow out in Chicago. I didn't have a a door-to-door sales team that was going to continue to help put them on. It became a little bit more of, okay, we have all these accounts you know, an hour away from home bay accounts, he services them then one hour back. We had a hard time hiring somebody out there locally. That's what we initially wanted to do. So I would say those acquisitions, when you're looking for them, you want to don't have them. So don't spread yourself too thin, right? Stay within an area where you're already there. You can just put on another quick 800 accounts, 12, whatever you're purchasing. And it's not as difficult for you to continue to grow in that market, if that makes sense. That actually makes a lot of sense. Logistically speaking, I remember, and we're we're in the Pacific Northwest. We have a our office in Vancouver. We do Vancouver, Portland area. We used to have an office in Seattle, Washington. And I remember it was it seemed like such a good idea at the time. It was like, yeah, man, we'll expand to Seattle. Is this market right above us? And it was awesome. And logistically, it kind of became a little bit of a nightmare. Even though we we had a listing and everything else, we didn't have a brick and mortar. And scheduling technician trainings and keeping the same kind of involvement, engagement with t- employees, like, man, we ended up selling those accounts. And so like when you're talking about doing acquisitions, you know, I assume that just like you said, you want to find people that are close to you. And especially if it's a competitor, right? Because not only are you getting those accounts, but you're taking out 
a competitor who's also probably driving up your price for cost of lead and other stuff. Yeah, that's a great point. And one thing that we do is we keep the listing online. So we like, let's say you you buy a competitor and when you search pest control, there's your company and there's your competitor right under you. Well, when you own both and you have a little bit of a monopoly and maybe some smaller markets. And so you're getting, you know, thousands of new customer calls a year that you're paying paying very little for because you do so well organically. And that's where, to me, that's hot sauce. And so that's been something we've done. I think it's interesting because I'm always, you know, there's this constant analysis of my different types of leads or customers, right? I think a lot about door-to-door, that's a big one for us, and then pay-per-click. We do other types of advertising, but those are kind of the big ones. We've acquired two or three companies, I think, but we look at a couple of key factors. And I think you can do this with acquiring companies too. I think it's the same thing. And I don't just take it at face value. So I talk about, you know, door-to-door is going to cost me more. It's going to cost me about $100 more, give or take, depending on the market, you know, whatever, just $100 more per account than what I'm getting online. But that's not the end of the story. And I think this applies to acquisitions also. And that's not the end of the story because... I have to reevaluate my goals. One of the goals of proof pest control is to to scale, right? We have specific scale goals for you know the future of the company. Online, doing that alone, it, it's not going to allow us to do that, right? So that's one thing. So a pro in the door-to-door category. Another pro in the door-to-door category is just route density. My really good guys can sell some of them, depending on the size of the neighborhood, 50 accounts in a neighborhood. That's really nice for that route density, keeping those you know costs of service down a little bit. Another pro is we get to pick the customer. We decide which areas you know we want to focus on, certain demographics and all these things. And then there are the cons. You know, you get bad reviews when you knock doors. Naturally, the retention. I will tell you, it's it's not the same as acquiring them in other ways. Do you go through this analysis when you're considering? an acquisition and you're talking about the cost, are you looking at it not just in terms, Chase, of what you're paying for it, but what it would cost you to acquire a certain number of accounts or even an individual account through a different method of marketing? Yeah. I mean, you know, Alan, too, we flirted with bringing in a third-party you know, marketing agency to knock doors for us. Yep. And we're still considering that because... But yeah, I mean, I figured you know one of the benefits of doing acquisitions other than you get the you know the organic stuff that comes with it, is the attrition typically is going to be still probably higher than than hiring a door to door company to come through and knock. You're going to hold on acquisitions. You you may lose ten percent based on just a transition, but a lot of them are sticky. Retention is going to be higher with an acquisition. There we go. Okay, door to door accounts. That's interesting. I think this is such an important point because I think of an acquisition as two main parts. One is finding and closing the deal on favorable terms, whatever that means for your company. And then the second aspect being, now the work begins, how do we keep those customers? Yeah, and that's exactly right. That's a great way to look at it. You know, Having a, a system in place for when you port all those customers in and, and get text messages out, get emails out, get letters out, explaining that there's been a, you know, a transition or, you know, so-and-so is now part of, you know, using the right terminology is helpful. So people believe that they've joined forces as one, not, 
you know, it's a whole new deal that, you know, their prices are going to change. The service is going to change. You want everything to be as seamless as possible when you do those acquisitions so you can hold on to those customers. But when we get it, do an acquisition, we do everything in our power to, you know, give the customer a, a discount on their next service. If they, you know, they're flirting with the idea of maybe not staying with us or shopping, you know, you just like door to door accounts, you want to be extremely aggressive about keeping them active because you just paid for them, right? So you are going to get creative with that commitment of just buying a book of business. Word definitely does begin after you close the deal. It's like, all right, CSRs, all right, office manager, we got all these customers, we got to work through and make sure that they're they're happy and they're they're good. I liked what you mentioned there about the consumer liking the idea that two companies are more or less kind kind of collaborating, like they're joining forces, and it's not some kind of hostile corporate takeover. Right. right. You know, because I'm thinking about all the different vendors that I've used for things for my house. And whenever I get like a name change or somebody buys out somebody else, it's always so and so now part of this, this family. Right. And I'm like, cool, great. As long as you keep doing what you say you're going to do, like I don't mind at all. Right. And I think we kind of talked about this maybe in the red flag section when you're looking for acquisitions, you know, obviously customer retention and, and other key metrics. Because you don't want to just buy a company and then have realized that the quality of the service sucks. And then when you send out those letters or emails, you know, those people are just looking for an excuse to zip out of there, right? Yep. And that's that 10%, you know, that are, you know, no matter what you do, how good your service is, how well you communicate, you can expect eight to 10%, which is a tough pill to swallow because you, when, especially when there's multipliers. So it's like, man, mm-hmm. you're paying a multiplier to get a, a customer list, but you can, factor eight to 10% are probably going to cancel, you know, and that, that, that's tough, but that's, but you have to absorb that in the gains that, Hey, I'm getting 2000 customers. I'm getting an organically more leads are going to flow into us. I'm getting four full-time technicians. I'm getting, you know, a reputation that's already there. We're just tweaking it to our, our brand, our way of doing business. And more times than not of the acquisitions I did, the way we do things is more professional, more up to speed, more thorough than the, the, the companies that we took over. So our customers oftentimes are pleasantly surprised once they give us that shot, we're able to you know, get the buy-in to be there. And so that's, that's been encouraging to see. What's your early communication with these new customers? Can you give me a timeline? Like, are you telling them the day that it happens? Are you... Because I've heard a mix. I, I was talking to somebody recently and they said, you know, a lot of times we'll just show up with, you know, both names side by side or, you know, the, the invoice that we send them, the service report will have both names side by side and we kind of work into it and there's no real notification. I think this was Jared that said this on a recent episode. Yeah. Yeah. Something about how like it won't be until four or five months down the road that he, there's an actual notification. And at that point, he said it's a pretty good situation because the people that don't know that there was a change, they're like, oh, I, I didn't even notice, but then we must be okay with the new company. So I don't know. What's your process? What's you know, pest control consultants process for doing this to try to hang on to? Because I think it's, it's like any other account. I know that they've been with that company forever, but they're new to you. And, and our new accounts, those are the ones that you really got to put a stranglehold on. You really got to work toward. I have a rule of thumb. If I get somebody to 18 plus months, they're not leaving me unless they die or 
sell a house, move to another right outside of a service area. 18 months, especially 24. You get to that point, customer for life. I mean, yeah. I mean, our book of business right now, our average customer is like four years. We come from a very local, small community where people know us. We're getting business of the year. We're getting recognized. And it's even easier when you're involved in the community and you're sending your people out as ambassadors to to to, to do things in the community that generate interest and people see that you're you're there locally. But that's a great question, Alan. There isn't a right answer to that. I've done both. When we did the deal with Rise, that's exactly how we did it. We didn't send anything for three or four months. We were just, you know, basically we used their same technician. He had Rise pest control on his shirt, you know, even though he was a PCC employee. And then eventually we sent, we would start with text messages and emails. We try to do everything electronically. If we're getting an old customer list that doesn't have emails, that's one of the first thing we try to do is start collecting emails by sending text messages out, letting customers know we're updating their records. But yeah, it's one of those things where you don't want to startle everybody immediately. You kind of want to just ease into it. I like that idea of, of 90 days, you know, and then at the turn, you know, or the fourth month there, you kind of send out some data saying, hey, this is, this company is now part of pest control consultants. We still have the same same service, just a little more of a you know, hopefully a, a personal touch to the service, and can you know take care of you guys for years and years. Just give you know, give us a shot, kind of thing. You know, we we're talking pro tips from a customer perspective. What pro tips do you have from an employee perspective when you're doing these acquisitions and these companies might have technicians, office staff, stuff like that? You know, what's the best way to go about letting these people know, hey, the company you're working for just got acquired? I haven't bought a company that it's been big enough where there's been a bunch of CSRs or inside sales reps, right? We did a deal out in Iowa that had two full-time techs. And so when the owner, it was very not, it was a very private until we closed. Once we closed, we met with the technicians and the, the previous owner came down and we sat down and we essentially had to sell ourselves to them and say, hey, listen, this is what's happened. We want you guys to come work with us. We want to match everything that you're getting now and add some benefits that we can do with such as 401k, PTO, things like that. And then we get, you know, we do offers or contracts, short-term, you know, hey, we'll keep stay on for one year and guaranteed this amount of money, whatever the deal might be on how you're, you know, paying your technicians. But that's the one time we had to do that. I don't have a ton of experience in in, in acquiring a team of CSRs, a team of sales reps that you're trying to say, all right, you know, we'd like you to come work for us now. But from a technician standpoint, the techs, they'll come work for you. They'll give you a shot. You know, they'll sit down and hear you out, especially if you're going to make their jobs easier. And we buy older companies. So these older companies aren't necessarily using, they're having a lot of their technicians do all their routing. You know, they're going through those carbon copies, papers every month, looking at doing how they how they can optimize their own routes. We tell them immediately, we're going to make your job easier because we're going to schedule it for you. You just have to show up, and do the service. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. That's already going to be set up by the office. That's awesome. Yeah, I bet they love that. <laughs> they did. They did love that. And that's the benefit of you know, when you take over a company that has an owner that's in his 60s, 70s, you're, you know, they're not likely using pest routes or, you know, they're not using all the up-to-date technology that's available, you know, to make their jobs easier. I think, you know, as we're wrapping up here, Chase, first of all, I think we should do a version two of this episode in the next couple of months, like a follow-up episode, because there's so much more that we could get into. But as human beings, we don't like change. So I think the question that Eric just asked is a really good question because we're so focused on the customers staying on. 
But what about the employees? So the customers don't like to change. They just want their old company back, right? The employees don't want the change. They don't want to deal with the new logo and then explaining things to everybody, you know, maybe new equipment, whatever. And if there do need to be changes made, I think that gradual and great communication is the way to do it. I don't think you come in like a bull in, in a china cabinet, even if there are these huge things that need to happen just because of that human nature in us, you know, that aspect of human nature where we fight against change, we're scared of it. We try to avoid it. And, you know, it's just, I'm really impressed, Chase, with what you guys have been able to do. I've known you for a few years now, just talking, connecting to pest world, like all that. And I just love your approach to pest control, man. You go out there and get it. And you didn't grow up in the door-to-door world, but you got a little bit of that in you. And it's cool to see people in different areas, you know, geographically with different backgrounds that still have that kind of tenacious spirit, looking to grow their companies, you know, just treating people right. And you guys have have done a really good job of that. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And it's I love the competitiveness of door to door. I love the ability to go out and create things, put things into existence by your own efforts and the challenge of all that. And I think it's great. I wish I would have known about it a lot sooner. But yeah, as far as the acquisition games go, I mean, I'd love to, you know, how do you finance a deal? Like, you know, how do you get 225000 yeah. How do you get three hundred fifty k? And there's ways to do it. And there, it's definitely, it definitely can be done and it can be very re- rewarding. And that could be a 2.0 to the acquisition stuff because that's, people don't know those things and they don't know how yeah. that can be done, but it can be. Yeah, for sure. No, we'd love to have you back. Until we get there, if somebody has a question, what's the best place to reach at? They can get me on Facebook. They can get me on LinkedIn. I get messages all the time. I try to get back to people quickly, but Facebook or LinkedIn would be great. If anybody has any questions on acquisitions or or just commercial pest control or just anything, I'd love to help where I can. Love it. Thanks for joining us today, Chase. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Bug Bucks podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please show your support by subscribing and leaving us a five-star rating. Thank you. And we'll catch you on next week's episode.